You are listening to sermon audio from College Creek Church in Annapolis, Maryland. For more information on this local body of believers, visit us online at collegecreekchurch.org or in person every Sunday at 11 a.m. Think about that first Easter Sunday. Jesus says that he's going to give life, to give life that is abundant, full, even, even eternal. And that sounds amazing, right? Jesus came to give life. But it sounded a lot nicer when Jesus was alive. I mean, think, think about that. If you're one of the disciples, you've been walking around with this guy for three years and it's been hard, but it has been the greatest days of your life, right? And you, and you could really see what it means, what it really means to live like a full, abundant life, right? You've watched him do, do miracles. You've heard him silence his critics with, with a wisdom that had to come. It had to come from God. Right? You've heard his teachings, and, and to use the, the language of your own trade, you've bought it hook, line, and sinker. Right? You have given your entire life to Jesus, but now he's dead. And it seems likely that the same people that killed him are going to come after his followers next. And, and maybe you begin to think back on some of the conversations and you remember them just a little bit differently now, right? Were you just caught up in, in the moment? Or was that stuff really real? Like you remember that time when everybody else just walked away and Jesus gave you an out as well? Why didn't you take it? Maybe you remember the way you responded. You said, where, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life and that seemed like such the right answer. But now he's dead. Or or think about Mary Magdalene. Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. He, He had set her free. But now he's dead. And what if those demons come back? Who, who's going to protect her now? Right? If Jesus could be killed, then no one was, was safe. Right? And these, these disciples and Mary and all the followers of Jesus, are, they're shocked. They're, they're stunned. Obviously, they're, they're sad, but they're also deeply, deeply scared. And Jesus had died on a Friday, and then they had to conjure up the strength to go and to go through Sabbath worship the next day. And now as the day breaks on Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene makes her way to the tomb of Christ to mourn and to weep. And that's where our story picks up this morning in John 20. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 20. Um, And if you picked up one of these Bibles on your way in, you'll find it on page 1004. And, and we want to remind you and encourage you, those Bibles are there for you, to, for you to take. So feel free, if you don't have a Bible of your own, take one of those with you. Um, we'd love for you to have a Bible. Um, but also, if you want to know, like, what do I read when I get that? We have reading plans out in the lobby. Pick up a reading plan. And if you want someone to read it with you, just let me know. 
And we have people who would love to read that with you every day so that you can experience what scripture says. But today, let's read from John chapter 20. John 20, we're gonna start in verse one. It says this. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first and and stooping to look in, he saw the the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I've not yet ascended to the father, but but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. We're told later in this chapter that the things that are recorded in the gospel of John are specifically written down that you might believe, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. So John's desire is to show us convincingly who Jesus is. And so he's recorded this this string of miracles, just one more remarkable than the next, right? Jesus turns water into wine and then he heals this guy's son without even actually going to the guy's house. And then he heals another guy who's been sick for for decades. He he feeds 5,000 people with the equivalent of a happy meal. He heals a grown man who was born blind. He he walked on top of the water. And then when you thought like, man, he really can't get any better than all this, he raises a guy from the dead. 
John's point here, right, is that Jesus has power and authority to do pretty much anything. He has power over nature and over sickness and over even death. And he has that power and that authority because he didn't just come from God, he himself is God. But then what happened on Friday? It seemed that the the power of Jesus had come to an end because this powerful one has been killed. And just like very few people believed that he could do any of the other miracles, nobody believed he could do anything about this. He was laid in a tomb and his friends just wept. They didn't wait around to see what the next miracle was gonna be. The party was over that the glory days had ended. And so they hid away and they wept. And then on, on Sunday morning, Mary burst through the door. But she doesn't come sharing news of a resurrection. She comes to tell them that somebody stole Jesus's body. And so they run to the tomb, not in hopeful anticipation that Christ has risen. They run to the tomb full of of anger, indignation, and fear, right? Fear for their their own lives, but but anger, right? Wasn't wasn't killing him enough? Did you have to steal his body too? And when they got there and they actually looked at what they saw, it didn't add up. It didn't add up to a grave robbing. It looked... It looked like, like resurrection. And in this story, what we see is four different ways of, of interacting with or interpreting the reality of the empty tomb. The tomb is empty. And, and really, here's the thing. In one way or another, all of us, everybody has to grapple with that. We have to grapple with the reality that Jesus's tomb was empty. From a strictly historical perspective, we can't get around it. We have to have something happened. Something happened. The question historically isn't, was Jesus real? The question isn't, did Jesus die? And the question isn't, was the tomb empty? The question is, how did the tomb become empty? That's the question. That's the question that's bouncing around in the minds of Mary and Peter and John that very first Sunday. They knew Jesus was real. They had seen him die. They watched him be buried. And now the tomb is empty. And the question is how? How did the tomb come to be empty? We see four different reactions. The first comes in the very first two verses. Look at what it says again. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. Mary sees the empty tomb and she makes up her own explanation. And what's fascinating about the story here is that Mary doesn't even go into the tomb. It seems like she didn't even look into the tomb. 
She just saw that the stone had been removed and then she fills in all of the blanks for herself. It must be that the body was stolen. I mean, any other possibility, any other alternative is frankly unbelievable, right? Forget the fact that Jesus told them that he was going to be killed and then three days later rise again. Right? Forget the fact that Jesus had already demonstrated that he had power over death when he raised Lazarus from the grave. None of that is informing Mary's thoughts here. It seems that resurrection is just the furthest thing from her mind. She had to explain things rationally, as rationally as possible. And the most rational thing that she could come up with is this. Somebody stole it. And that's the story she went with. That's the story, and we go with that story all the time, right? My entire childhood was spent with me losing things and blaming my siblings for stealing it, right? I filled in all the blanks. When I couldn't find what I was looking for, the answer was somebody stole it. Mary says, I can't find what I'm looking for. Somebody stole it. And there are a lot of people in the world who see the story of Jesus just from a distance, and we hardly give it a second thought. We just dismiss it in favor of our own explanation. Right? The, the problem today with the resurrection is, is really, it's all the other things that it brings with it. Because if I believe the resurrection, if that's true, if the resurrection is true, then I have to believe like a whole lot of other things about God and the world and sin if the resurrection is true, then God is real and the world is actually his and I live a life that is often out of alignment with his will. And I don't like all of that. And so I can look on from a distance and come up with other ways to explain what's happened and why the tomb was empty. It's far easier to keep my distance and explain things away than to submit my life to the resurrected Lord. And these first Verses, we find Mary who simply, she simply sees. She sees from a distance and then she makes up her own explanation. We're gonna come back to Mary in, in a minute. Uh, but first, consider John's response to the empty tomb. He's referred to here as the disciple who Jesus loved, which is a pretty good nickname to have and uh, the advantage of being the one who wrote the book. Um, so at the end of the book, he tells us, this is talking about me, I'm the guy. So here's John and he, and. Mary comes to John and look at what verse three says. Peter went out with the other disciple, that's John. And they were going toward the tomb, both of them running together. But the other disciple, John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. If, if Mary saw and created her own story, then John just stared and wondered. John got closer than Mary, right? He came all the way up to the door and he stooped down and he stared in and he just stopped and kind of wondered at the empty tomb. And perhaps he was running through all sorts of explanations and ideas in his own mind. How did we explain all of this? But we don't, we don't get the idea that at any point in this, he thought, oh, resurrection, that's how I explain this. At no point did he come there. The reality of the resurrection doesn't cross his mind. He's simply in awe and in silence. It's, it's interesting to note that in, in Luke's account of the resurrection, we're told that when Mary comes and tells them, they just think that the whole thing is an idle tale. That's what it says. 
They think Mary just made the whole thing up. But now John arrived and the tale, at least in part, is very true. The tomb is empty. And we don't know why John doesn't enter into the tomb. Commentator um, Kenneth Gangle says that in John, we sense a certain hesitation and, and uncertainty, perhaps even fear, right? What, 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 what lay beyond in the darkness there? What horror might I find in the shadows of this burial cave? Well, there are many who respond to the empty tomb in this way today as well, right? The story of the empty tomb causes wonderings, perhaps even, even awe, but maybe it causes fear to enter into their hearts. And so they, they choose to just not take that last step in. It's great to come to church on, on Easter and maybe Christmas. I get to look on in awe and wonder. It's a cool thing. But it's kind of terrifying to take that next step in. So I just look on and I wonder and I wonder. They don't so much believe one way or the other about it. Rather, they're just kind of struck by it. The way we might be when we're like watching a movie and there's like a crazy twist. You're reading a book, crazy twist. Oh, wow. It's going to have to sit with that for a second. And perhaps that's you this morning, right? You find the death of Jesus, the resurrection, interesting and compelling, not necessarily because it's true. Maybe you're afraid of what it would mean for it to be true. And that's, if that's you, I would just encourage you to consider two other ways to respond to the empty tomb. So Mary saw and she made up her own explanation. John stared and wondered. But now consider what happens when Peter and John go into the tomb together. Look at verse six. It says, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. And he saw the linen cloths laying there and, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not laying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. Here we find Peter and John not just seeing and not staring, but, but studying. They study the empty tomb. And as they do, they come to believe, right? When Peter comes into the empty tomb, what he finds out is it's not actually empty. There's no body, but the tomb's not empty. There's evidence. There's evidence that a body one time was there, right? And Dr. Craig Kenner points out that had robbers stolen the body, they would have taken it hastily in its wrappings. They had left the wrappings. They would have left them. If they did that, they would have left them in disarray. Right? But whoever left these wrappings left them neatly, nicely, folded up. And various pastors, commentators have made much about the, the grave clothes. Right? It's been pointed out that Lazarus, when he came out, he was still in his grave clothes. In John 11, that's because... Lazarus was going to need him again, so he brought him out with him. But Jesus, he didn't need him again because he conquered death. He had put off the rags of death to be robed in glory, so he didn't need them again. But here's the thing. We don't know why all of that happened. Here's what we know. They were still there. 
And any explanation of them still being there aside from resurrection is frankly preposterous. Grave robbers would have taken them. I don't know if you've ever tried to carry a dead body, but it's easier when it's wrapped up in something. And weirdly, I know that from experience. It's easier when it's wrapped up in something. Why would you take them off? Jesus, some people said, woke up in that tomb and he ripped those things off so that he could get out. That's not what we find either. They're not ripped open. They're nicely folded over here. The others just laying where they were to start with. Just no body inside. Seeing the grave clothes laying there, the face cloth folded up neatly, we're told that John believed. John believed. He studied the scene and came to believe. But look at what the text says. They believed, but they did not understand. They believed, they did not understand, and they just went home. They believed in Jesus, even the resurrection, but at this point, it didn't really make sense, and it didn't really change their lives. Jesus is risen. I guess he's not, go home now? That's what they just went home. Nothing changed. And I think a lot of people find themselves exactly there as well. They find comfort in simply believing the right thing, right? Not not necessarily understanding it and certainly not letting their lives be changed or affected by it. It's just simply enough to have studied long enough to believe rightly, right? Many in this room today find ourselves in one of these three responses, But here's what I want you to know. All of those are inadequate responses to the empty tomb. All of them. And it seems obvious to you, I'm sure, that a preacher would get up and tell you not to make up your own explanation. That one's clear. Shouldn't do that one, right? And it probably makes a good deal of sense that I would tell you as well that just, you know, sort of standing in awe of it isn't adequate either. But listen to what I am saying. Just believing it is not enough either. Being unmoved and unchanged by right theology is not an adequate response to the empty tomb. The call of Christ is greater. It's greater than studying and believing and going home. They just go home and they go back to their lives. And so we need to turn back to Mary to see the fourth, to see, I would say, the right response to the empty tomb. Mary stayed. And because she stayed, she encountered the presence of the risen Christ. Look at verses 11 to 18. It says this, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord. I do not know where they've laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? 
And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I've not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Jesus's desire for you is not that you would just believe the right set of things about him. His desire for you is an intimate relationship with him. Peter and John came to the right belief, but they did not encounter Christ. Meanwhile, Mary still believed wrong, but she stayed long enough that she encountered Jesus. Don't stop short of a relationship. Don't become so awestruck that you don't press in further. Stay long enough that you might encounter the risen Christ. We like to just get a satisfactory intellectual answer and then move on with our lives, but Jesus wants a relationship with you because our God, our God is a God of loving relationship. He has eternally existed in loving relationship within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity in relationship. And he created us out of that relationship and into and for relationships. And most of all, we were created for relationship with him. Right? And, and while brokenness has come into that relationship, that's frankly the whole point of Jesus. The whole point of Jesus coming into the world was to restore us to right relationship with God. And Mary stayed. She persisted. And she was rewarded by being the first person, the first person to see the risen Lord. It's amazing, though, to consider. Mary's not even convinced by the angels. This is wild. She looks in, and there are two angels sitting there. And her response is like, do you guys see something? They took him away. What happened? Do you know who did that? And then Jesus shows up and she's like, did you, did you take him away? Is this, did you do that? And ironically, this is amazing. She thought that Jesus was the gardener and so she asked him like, hey, are you responsible for this? And here's the irony. Jesus could have said like, yeah, I am responsible for this. I'm the re I took that body away. And here it is, whole and made new before you. I mean, look at the kindness of Jesus though. He doesn't rebuke her unbelief. She sees angels and doesn't believe. She meets him and doesn't believe. She isn't. Jesus doesn't rebuke her. He just says her name. And he says her name in a way that he's probably said it hundreds of times, Mary. And as soon as she hears that, she, she gets it. 
She sees, she knows. Rabboni, she replies. Jesus said in John 10 that he was the good shepherd and his sheep know his voice. And then he calls them by their name and he leads them out. And with that one word, Mary, Jesus led Mary out, out of, out of sadness and darkness and confusion and pain and unbelief and sorrow out and into his love. The resurrection of Jesus shows us the love of Jesus. We always think the resurrection is just showing us his power. No, it shows us his love, his love, because here's what it demonstrates. It shows us that Jesus has infinite power over any enemy. Death could not hold him, and he still chose to die. If death could not hold him, Pilate could not hold him and Caiaphas could not hold him, and the angry mob could not hold him. He submitted himself to death. Now we see his love. He voluntarily went to the cross for us on our behalf. And having seen his love, Jesus then confirms it with his words. Listen to what he says. He says, hey, go Go tell, go tell the disciples, but he didn't call them disciples. For the first time in the entire book of John, he calls them brothers. He says, go tell my brothers. And here's what I want you to tell them. Tell them that I'm ascending to my father, your father. I'm ascending to my God, your God. Pastor Matt Carter did the math on this not me. He says that 108 times in the gospel of John, Jesus refers to God as father. 27 times he says, my father. And 71 times he says, the father. And only one time does he refer to God as their father, our father, the disciples' father. Right here in verse 17. He says, hey, we're family now. This whole thing that just happened, when I died and rose again, we're brothers and he's our father, our father. When Jesus raises from the dead, the position of his followers radically changes. They're no longer cut off from God. They're no longer enemies of God. They're no longer dead in trespasses and sins. They are family members because of the sacrifice of Christ for their sin and the divine acceptance of that sacrifice by God the Father that we see in the resurrection. And it ushers them into a new family. It ushers all who believe in Christ into a new family with God as their father, Jesus as their brother. The abundant life that Jesus offers is found and, and seen in the love of Jesus, in his death and his resurrection. Not in just believing the right things, but in relationship with the risen Christ. And so my, my challenge to you this Easter is that you wouldn't just see the resurrection with awe and, and wonder, that you wouldn't just study it, even believe it, but that you would stay long enough to actually experience the presence, the relationship, the love of Christ. And then as we live in relationship with Jesus, the only way in which we leave is to do what he tells us to, which is to tell other people about him. 
That's what Mary does. And right in Mary's case, Jesus finally, we don't know how long she got to hang out with him, but apparently she is like clinging to him. And Jesus says, hey, don't cling to me any longer. Not because like he's some weird spirit thing, because he's like, hey, there's other people who I love too, and I need them to know this good news also. So you don't cling to me. Go tell them. Go back to that room where all those people are that are scared, that are sad, and tell them this incredible news. And here's the amazing news of the resurrection. We don't have to cling to the body of Jesus anymore because he promises that he will go with us everywhere we go. And so we're free. We're free to go and to tell others without ever losing any of his loving presence with us. And so Mary goes and she shares the words of Jesus. And then she adds her own testimony. She says, hey, I've seen him. I have seen the Lord. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, here's what you have to share with people. All of God's love, but also the reality that you have a relationship with the Lord. There's power in your own story. I have seen, I have met the Lord. I've experienced his love and there's plenty more. So you can come as well. Don't just believe the right thing. Live in relationship with God. And in it, we know pure, pure love. So I don't, I don't know where you are when it comes to a Sunday like, like this, when it comes to the empty tomb. I don't know how you respond, but I just pray that you would stay long enough to encounter the risen Christ because he loves you so much. He died for you a death of pure love, proven by his glorious resurrection. So how will you respond to the empty tomb? Right, the empty tomb can, can bring a lot of things. It can bring fear and sorrow and anger and pain, but the resurrection brings hope. Hope that if Christ has risen, then I too will rise. All who trust in him will, will rise. And all of those fears and sorrows and pains of this life will be washed away in the glory of eternal life with Christ. Friends, he has risen. He has risen indeed. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for the, for the blood that you shed, that you willingly, voluntarily went to the cross out of sheer love for us. And what we, more than anything, what we want, whether we even know how to articulate that we wanted, what we want is relationship with you. And so, Lord, we pray that, that today we might encounter you. Give us the patience and the strength to wait. But, Lord, we pray that you would show us your glory in our own lives, even today. In Christ's name, amen.